nothing nothing yeah. to worry about nothing to worry about okay um well yeah start yeah. start wherever you'd like to start you we can start with um your journey with plastics for change or even what made you get into marketing and how you had a purpose with that from the the, the origins it's really up to um up to you where where would you like to start what what for you felt like yeah. the most what felt like the first step in the road for you to getting towards plastics for change and working in India? Yeah, well, since growing up, I'd always had a really uh, social-minded upbringing. So we're from a family, a big Catholic family, and I'd always be trying to do different things to help homeless people or, or be part of different um, different charities. But it was never, obviously when you're younger, you can't really do very much. There was one time where mm-hmm. uh, my sister and I, we tried to feed homeless people in Sydney and we just took a bag of carrots and bread rolls and no one wanted any of our food. And it was just, yeah. So there's always been this um, this desire to give back and do good for the world. And I think that sort of happens when you have a really stable upbringing you you feel like your cup is really full and you're ready to give that to other people mm-hmm. and I, I learned really young that doing things for people makes you makes you feel good as well so I definitely wouldn't say that um, I'm a do-gooder or um, yeah it's 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 to it's to it's totally selfish things because when you're doing good for people, that's that true happiness, that like happiness that's deep inside your chest and your heart, and you really can't, you can't get that feeling anywhere else. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, definitely would say it's a purely unselfish thing. So, so that was always there, and that was always bubbling beneath the surface. And then going through university, getting a corporate job, I was working at Microsoft and Ogilvy and I definitely liked it and it was really good but there was always that um, that thing in the back of my mind that I wanted to give back and do something for the world so that sort of got me started on my journey and and then in the end I ended up moving my life to India when I was 23 years old to work on this project with Plastics for Change Plastics for Change is such an amazing organisation they help reduce plastic and poverty in urban India by giving recycling jobs to people living in poverty and helping them own their own businesses, run recycling centers, really become entrepreneurs in their own right. And all of the plastic that they recycle, it goes through a fair trade recycling supply chain and then gets used for brands like The Body Shop or Unilever. And it's just an incredible circular economy-esque process. Mm -hmm. and yeah totally it's it's honestly i've got so much to touch on already just from that last few things uh one thing that came to mind straight away was it is insane how we create this product and i think plastic's actually an incredible product like we create it it can last thousands of years it's flexible like just the idea of a bottle of water is so insane like if you took that just 200 years ago and gave it to someone they would be mind blown. Like it doesn't need to be made of metal. It's not made of like a leather gourd. You can just carry water in this flexible, lightweight, see-through container. So it's an incredible um, substance, but we're kind of 
like disrespecting it and betraying it in a way by just creating it and then just destroying it without actually giving it a chance to be recycled or reused. Do you know what I mean? Like we don't treat other products like that. If we re- if we mine gold or iron or other resources, we try our best to reuse them, but plastic seems to have escaped us somehow and I'm not sure why. Yeah, it's this really interesting ethical paradox because mm-hmm. plastic is an extremely valuable resource and it can be used in so many different things and it's made our lives a lot easier in a lot of respects. But because of the low price point of creating something like a plastic bottle, yeah. there's this complete disregard of it. And yeah. I almost think that when when people realise that if they buy a $3 plastic bottle of water... That's more money than buying petrol. So just by putting your water in a plastic bottle, you are literally you are literally spending more on water, a resource that is free, um, instead instead of you know using that for anything else. So I think that there's like there needs to be a shift away from trying mm-hmm. to reduce plastic because it's the right thing to do, and trying to reduce plastic because it's so much better for your life and you're kidding yourself if you think that it's convenient because it isn't really convenient to spend as much on water as you would on petrol. It's very convenient to fill up a water bottle, have that with you. You don't need to go to the shops and buy a bottle. You don't need to go anywhere. You can just have your have your water bottle or you can have it there. You can fill it up whatever you like. Water is free in Australia and it's clean from the tap. So I don't know why people don't take that option up more it's just such a no-brainer yeah i think it's we live in an age of such abundance like what you're talking about there with um people and sort of like yeah not thinking twice about just buying a plastic bottle it's like plastic is everywhere you look so it seems like it's in such abundance that maybe people just forget that there is a monetary value and a production value in creating it do you know what i mean like you look around like I can look around my hotel room right now and see that there is so much plastic everywhere. Like the television case, the kettle, the fridge door. Like I could list things off for ten, for the next ten minutes. But I think it has something to do with the fact that it seems so abundant that we almost forget that it is um, not an endless resource. It it almost feels endless because it's it's everywhere, but it's really not. Um, uh, what you were saying before about the um, buying a plastic bottle and not thinking twice. I should have actually told you this before. I met a guy uh, when I was traveling and his dad, uh, have you heard of like the birth bottle or whatever? It's like this idea that when people are born, you get given this really good quality drink bottle that's more or less meant to like be used for the rest of your life. Like it's like a thermos. Wow, I love this idea. Yeah, it's like a really good quality one liter bottle that you more or less just keep forever and just keep using it for like tea or coffee or water or juice or whatever. It doesn't matter what you, what you fill it up with. But the I guess the the premise behind it is you sort of take care of that one bottle and and use it well and actually try and try and inhibit your own intake of plastic just by making sure you've got your bottle with you. And I guess a good comparison would be before COVID, the idea was like you go out and you have keys, wallet, phone, right? And now it's keys, wallet, phone, mask. But perhaps we'll get to a time where it's keys, wallet, phone, mask, bottle, if that makes sense. So you just always know instinctively, okay, I'm going out. I might need to drink. I'll bring my bottle. 
rather than buy. Yeah, it kind of, kind of reminds me of like Hunger Games or going on a hike or something. But you're absolutely right. I think um, I'm just imagining people walking around with their birth bottles and it would seem so natural after a while. And I find that the, that the, that the highs outweigh the lows with carrying around your own bottle. Whenever you do, you're always hydrated. You get free water mm-hmm. and you're yeah like it's not even that big a deal especially if you have a little um like a little holder for it and you can sling it over your shoulder or what totally hey mia can you hear me yeah oh sorry you just dropped out for a sec there all good yeah it just seems like such an such an awesome thing to do and um i think it's been a bit hard with covid and everyone's a little bit scared of germs and reusables but when Mm, that ends there's going to definitely be a shift in mindset towards the ecological crisis we're facing and i'm really i'm not excited for the crisis obviously but i'm excited to see as i was before covid was happening to see people really wanting to change and really wanting to do better and industry sort of understanding consumer demands and yeah i definitely have so much so much hope for the future um yeah yeah i have honestly i feel like we could do a whole podcast about just that in itself the the shift that will happen after covid i had a huge i'll quickly just touch on this i had a huge conversation with a friend of mine just actually a few days ago about um i don't know what the like what you felt when covid first happened but i felt like there was going to be this global cohesion and we're going to have this togetherness sense that oh we're in this together you know it doesn't matter your skin color or your religion or your culture or your you know the the lines between which you're born or whatever we all can get sick and we all get viruses and we all live and breathe and love and die and I kind of had this hope that COVID would kind of make us see through um our own you know morality and come together oh sorry uh mortality and come together a bit. I hoped COVID would bring the world together and it, it did at times, but it also, it's kind of like an elastic band. Like it brought the world together and they had the COVAX and then now it seems like that countries are kind of going their own way again and stuff. And we were having this conversation that we were hoping that after COVID that the world would sort of band together a little more with the climate crisis. And I think plastic will be a big part of that actually. Yeah, COVID was interesting because it inherently you're forced to stay away from people and you're forced to stay yeah. away from countries. So there was that isolation there. The whole theme of the COVID crisis was isolation. But mm-hmm. because we all breathe the same air, we drink the same water, we swim in the same ocean, these this is problems. You can't, you know, burn plastic in Indonesia and that not go into the atmosphere for mm-hmm. people in Australia. Exactly, and yeah. There's all like you, you just even look at the way that plastic travels through the ocean and I remember um collecting plastic on a beach in Indonesia and I was seeing all of these Australian brands like a Vegemite tin, tiny teddies washed up on a beach in Indonesia. So there's just there mm. is that complete togetherness and that's sort of why I um really that that's sort of why I have this massive value of oneness because we do just have this one earth and this one experience together and um yeah that's why I think the climate crisis although there will be politics of course and fighting and debating there's we don't have any other choice um 
was reading a really interesting book called Tribes and it talked about how people came together during wartime and morale and camaraderie and community was so high because people just had to come together and solve a problem together and mm-hmm. and when people do that and when humans are in that state of solving a problem together that's when true community and true connections are formed mm-hmm. and i really hope the same will be for the climate crisis because we don't really have a choice and humans are better together and we we have this amazing capacity to work as part of a tribe and work as part of a community so i have yeah a lot of hope and i'm not gonna i'm not gonna um fall into this negativity i'm definitely going to continue to do what i can in the sphere that i have um yeah yeah i totally i know exactly what you're talking about the same thing on that hike that i was talking about my buddy and me were also talking about um like a crisis mindset and it might sound weird but it's almost like humans are always looking for the next problem to solve, the next hurdle to overcome, the next crisis moment to like propel us in a direction, which I don't know if it's something to do with being, you know, a biological life form and wanting to, like everything wants to live and keep producing and be as successful as it can be. The trees want to grow as many seedlings and the fish want to have as many schools as they can, but then other species keep them in balance. But we've got to a stage where we're not being kept in balance so much by nature anymore. So we sort of have to be, keep ourselves in balance and in terms of like how we treat nature, because now we're not at a stage where, um, you know, we're having, do you know what I mean? Like we're not an endangered species. So we've got to kind of solve these issues as a, as a group, I think. Um, yeah. And that's so, that's actually super interesting. Yeah. yeah I love that. Are we always in a crisis? That's a wonderful thing, though, about the earth and humans. There is that abundance mindset. And, um, yeah, flowers want to grow as big as they can and humans want to reach their potential. But the similar way to how we can get people on the moon and um, create incredible technologies, we do need to apply that same critical thinking to limit ourselves in different ways, Um or at least contribute to a circular economy. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah, and being honestly being optimistic, I I know some people are, are pessimists, some are optimists and then some say that they're realists. I think it's good to have a a mix of of all of those approaches, but being an optimist like what you're saying about wanting change and thinking it's going to happen and feeling like we're going to solve this problem together. I also actually feel that way. I'm optimistic as well um and i think that there are like have you ever heard of pascal's wager it's like have you ever heard of that no he was no. he was an old prophet um and he was saying that like if it's better to believe in like be spiritual and believe in god or or a god with the chances of potentially getting to heaven wouldn't it be better to believe that than to not believe but it's kind of been turned into a bit of a a cultural slang now where there's like all these different forms of like pascal's wager so it's really just a a a shedding a light on optimism like isn't it better to try and be optimistic and hope for the best and aim for the best than sort of cut yourself short if that makes sense but i feel this is awesome (laughs) this is so cool and i've always uh, yeah i've always had that mindset as well i would prefer to do everything i could 
in my own capacity to help contribute to a better outcome for the climate. Mm-hmm. And then one day look at my children and say, I definitely tried the absolute best I could and I'm so sorry if it didn't turn out in the right way. Can you imagine like just explaining to your kids, oh yeah, you know, I, I just contributed to all of this. I didn't do anything about it. I didn't try. I didn't even recycle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it would just, it, you'd watch their face drop. They would be so angry at you and they would kind of hate you. So yeah, I... Um, I definitely want that moment that mm-hmm. I talk about the climate and what's happened to be something that I can look back on and say, hey, I gave it a, I gave it a go. Definitely. And I think in more wealthy countries as well, I didn't used to think this way, but I, I do now that what you're saying there about your children perhaps feeling like, oh, wow, why didn't you do more? But you've travelled and so have I. It's, it can be so hard for people that are impoverished to even get ahead, let alone having the time or the energy or the the wages or the know-how to actually be able to um like let's say use less plastic or or something like that if you've got a job where you're let's say you're in India and you're selling juice cups on the side of the road or you're selling tea uh chai tea or something and your customers you have like you know you give them each a teacup and you say sell it for 50 cents or a dollar to use less plastic in that situation might literally make you bankrupt so and I don't know, I feel like in the West or developed countries, we have more proximity and more ability to to try and, and move away from plastics and and spread that information to other people who are impoverished because it can be a lot of harder, I think, to move away from those kind of products, especially when all they're trying to do is put food on the table. So we kind yeah. of have an obligation, I feel, to do the best oh, we can. Absolutely. That's super, super interesting to note that. Um, and I've seen I've seen this play out in lots of different scenarios. So I think that each person, the wealthier they are, they have more of an obligation to the planet, to the world. Because you think about someone who's who's wealthy, they're flying around the world, they've got a huge house, they're driving around these cars all the time. They're just consuming so much. Whereas a chai waller on the side of the street in India. Yes, he might be using plastic cups because that's all he can afford. But people in India, they're so they're they're the OG recyclers. They'll use everything that they can. They won't waste because they don't have that luxury. They 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 might um, ride a bike to work mm-hmm. because they don't have the capacity to buy a car. So their consumption is so much lower and so much smaller than uh, wealthier people. So I think that's definitely like the onus shouldn't be on people living in poverty to start recycling and start doing this because they actually are already just just because bare necessity they can't waste they don't have that luxury Mm -hmm. so there's a level that everybody should be working at um yeah yeah within their wheelhouse kind of thing yeah and it's it's in, in a way like a pyramid of responsibility so definitely brands and industry um are at the top government is second because they have the capacity to move and shift lots of dials and then I I really believe the people who are struggling the most to feed their families Mm -hmm. they have far less of a responsibility Um, yeah I like that you put brands and industry in front of in front of government that's I feel like that's that's a really good way to look at it as well and because because 
Totally. And Thank really, you. it comes down to us as the consumer to, to kind of push the brand in the direction we want simply by buying or not buying or endorsing or not endorsing their product. So oh my God. we have a it's lot of power. Crazy. Brands can change at any point in time. I've literally seen brands change from single-use plastic to ethically recycled plastic in, in, a, in about a year or something. Wow. They can change at any time if their consumers want them to change. So I think people have this whole, oh, put up my hands, I'm not guilty, these brands and governments, they're not doing enough, you know. But the consumers are the ones that decide whether they're going to use the brand's product or not. The people are the ones who vote for the government. So I just think that there's, if, if we demand change at a consumer level, you'd be so surprised. I, I know it seems lame to write a brand an email like you sound like a Karen and you sound like you're complaining but actually if everyone one day if everyone in one week just blackout stopped buying say Colgate toothpaste and they said this is because of your packaging and that their sales would dip everyone just completely stopped buying their product their sales would dip they'd go under they might have to create some redundancies then they would absolutely change. But we just keep on buying their product. We don't demand change. We don't we don't write them scathing emails. We don't comment on their pages saying all these different things. So that's why I feel like people, keyboard warriors, people, you actually have a lot of power um, to change brands' minds. And yeah, I've been in boardrooms with different brands who have gotten this feedback from their customers. And they're saying that, look, they're, they're really angry. People are really angry about our packaging. What can we do? We want to start using recycled packaging. But they didn't do that because they were moral. They did that because they wouldn't have any customers in 10 years. So That's what always surprised me about, I guess, because I'm not so... I believe that, you know, capitalism has a place and there's there's good and bad with trying to create positively growth, growing economies. But it always surprised me that there was the, the bottom line or so to speak, or like the investor, you know, driving up the value of the company was always taking so much of a, like a precedent over um, like the the moral side. I always just couldn't really understand that because I imagine myself being, you know, in a corporation being like, hey guys, shouldn't we do this or shouldn't we do that? But mm. it took me a long time to realize that's not really how these corporations function. They're, they're sort of, their loyalty lies in the investor and and returning profits and if that means that the best way to return profits for the investor is to go um to go green or eco or plastic free then then they'll do it rather than taking the leap sort of subconsciously like pre or preemptively i should say but I, yeah i sort of was always confused by that growing up i was like oh like how come these companies don't just do this or do this but i guess i'm not economically minded so it's super, it's super <laughs> yeah. interesting. So I obviously have my own set of values and I strongly believe in them, but I never expect people to share the same values ever. I'm never like, oh, I believe in sustainability. Everybody else should too. But I do definitely believe in the power of, uh, yeah, green economy and creating change through people. And if if people realize something doesn't, doesn't make any sense for our earth if there's really strong hard figures of saying all right in five years we're, we're not going to be able to swim at the beach without bumping into a piece of plastic within five minutes 
people will start to change and they'll start to demand that and they're they're not triggered really by their values and by doing the right thing. They're triggered if, um, sorry, brands, meaning they, brands, brands are triggered if it doesn't make economical sense to them anymore. So, yeah, yeah, Yeah. I don't know. I I think that that's where you need to spearhead it Mm -hmm. um, and go from that. And who knows, like maybe plastic will become scarce enough that its value becomes higher and therefore it becomes less economic to actually create new plastic and it becomes more viable to recycle. So that would be, you know, a pipe dream situation. Let's bring it back to yeah. um, India, though. I was really interested to talk about like what it felt like for you to, to move to India and work with Plastics for Change or or just that part of the process for you. Yeah, India was that definitely the light bulb moment in my life where I realized that I could use my marketing degree and my social media experience mm-hmm. to really contribute to a humanitarian and environmental problem. And before that, I, I had a hunch. I never, I haven't had any mentors through this journey. I haven't really seen anyone doing what I was doing. So I was really, it was so many question marks, right? It was just sort of like, had this massive hunch that I could use marketing as a force for good um, and just sort of like moved my way into it. So I actually started off in a project on in, in Indonesia trying to collect plastic in a coastal town and that wasn't quite right and then tried to do a few permaculture problems and then projects. And then when I found out about Plastics for Change, it was just there was just no doubt in my mind. I, I found out about it from a podcast and I said, all right, oh, cool. I'm moving there. I emailed the guy, the CEO, and I was like, I'm moving. I'm, I'm, here's all my experience. I'll work for free. I'll do whatever I can, but I, I just know that this is the right thing. Mm-hmm. I, didn't think, I didn't think twice about the barriers of entry, the visa, the difficulty of the culture. I just, I just knew that it was the right thing. And I got there and I had absolutely no culture shock. It was like I was Indian in another life or something. But I walked down the streets and I felt so calm in the chaos and I would just smile at people and I just felt so accepted. And I felt like even though I was a foreigner, I felt like I was completely the raw version of myself. And I think that's what happens when you really are aligned with your purpose and aligned with where you're supposed to be in life and you don't let other things sort of you know, influence that. And I just like, it was crazy how quickly I made this awesome group of friends and jumped right into work. And I was like eating Indian food every day and dressing in Indian clothes. And Mm -hmm. um, some of my friends' parents would be like, you're more Indian than my son and daughter. And I know that's like try hard trying to fit in the culture, but it just felt so natural. It felt like Mm -hmm. I didn't, the problems weren't problems in my life. They were just like little challenges and everything. I was there and I was committed and um, yeah. And then of course the work just blew my mind. Um, mm-hmm. I loved being able to work at that intersection between plastic and poverty because I think plastic has doesn't have a lot of heart and soul but when you see the people that are collecting it and see how they're using plastic as a resource to feed their families, mm-hmm. it just develops this beautiful marketing story. And as a marketer, 
you can't just post a picture of a plastic bottle and expect people to connect with that. But we really developed this human side of the plastic crisis and it was this very end of the world type experience. So um, I, I, I really encourage people to think about where their plastic goes when they put it in the bin. It's only about 9% recycled and then a very small amount goes to landfill. And then most of your plastic actually gets sent to the shores of India, Cambodia, mm -hmm. all these different places. And it literally goes, gets dumped where people live. Oh, um, man. And it's really sad. I mean, you, you, look at you look at someone's house and it's just covered in trash and they go in and you, you can't even see their door because there's piles of plastic everywhere. And, yeah. Um, trying to burn it they're trying to throw it in the ocean they're trying to do anything to sort of get this to a certain level um and they already have their own plastic problems so yeah it's a, definitely blew my mind <laughs> and um I, I really encourage people to look into the journey of their plastic as well because it will definitely change the way you think about it definitely for sure no i, I know exactly what you mean yeah i've I've sort of seen it with my own eyes, so I'm, I'm lucky enough that um, I know, yeah, like I've seen rivers of plastic in India and like choked like streams through small towns in, in Thailand after a heavy rain and it is, it's crazy sad and I think education's a big part of that as well and oh, there's so many angles to it and I can see what you mean about the um, plastic sort of lacking that charm in a way as you're saying. But that actually, that's something I wanted to ask you. What drew you to plastic and not like another social issues? Like, let's say, for example, um, tree planting or coral bleaching or um, something like that. So what do you feel like was it that drew you to plastic or like helping with the plastic problem? You know what? I, I don't exactly know. It's mm -hmm. really interesting. I always think about this myself. I wonder why is that? where that obsession started but um i see the world in through the lens of a marketer and if you think about something like plastic it's so easy to understand for people people can look at the trash that they use after their lunch and think this is a problem mm -hmm. people can look at their recycling bins and be like whoa this is a lot people can be holding a plastic phone in their hands they can there's so many different touch points for people to understand the problem. So I think mm. that was super appealing to me in the sense that it's something that people can really understand. And I, um, I've i been doing a lot of different marketing projects since, and it's, it's really interesting trying to create that connection between an issue and somebody, somebody changing their behavior. So plastics was definitely something that ignited that passion but since it's been really cool to apply that uh, ability to connect people to an issue in different industries so say for instance when I came back to Australia I was doing live stream marketing with World Wildlife Fund and we were basically connecting with gamers and they were raising money through the through live streaming and they would be they would be on Twitch being like, I'm raising money for World Wildlife Fund today. And the thing that would keep on coming up is koalas. Koalas. These soft, furry, beautiful little koalas. People weren't worried about birds or 
you know, the the really important fauna that was uh, that was destroyed by the by the bushfires. But every time we would talk about koalas or talk about the bushfires burning koalas, and we needed to raise money for that, that was when people would just sort of go for it. Um, mm-hmm. And it's weird. It sucks sometimes that um, that people can't care about everything, but I do understand. I mean, there's only so many issues that someone can care about, and you do need to have that either that connection in your life, like plastic is, or that just pure connection, like someone has with a koala or that soft, cuddly feel. Yeah. And social media, especially in these um, high impact sectors, oh my gosh, yeah. environmental, you need to find something that is really easy to connect with and isn't abrasive. It isn't saying, look, you're doing all this stuff wrong. You're a terrible person. Uh, yeah. Something I hate about environmental marketing is all of these, like, I swear every documentary starts off by like, you know, the sweeping tornadoes and the floods and babies crying. And it's just so depressing. And I really try, I've tried for my whole career in this space to, um, create content that people can connect with and feel excited by feel inspired to act rather than depressed and want to go into their hole um, not wanting to act so yeah I definitely try to choose different marketing products based on how they they, they can connect with certain sectors um, yeah sorry that was a long answer no no it's great there's I was actually really glad you touched on the the sort of guilt um complex com, uh, complexity that goes on with like marketing around plastics and stuff and I was going to say that as well I feel like people react better if you add in a bit of like sense of comedy or a sense of like community purpose or like that um, you know how those you know people were calling you know what like around like a six pack of beers or something there's a turtle oh sorry there's the the plastic ring and people started calling them turtle chokers mm, and it became a yeah. bit of it became a bit of a joke like a funny slang term like oh there's another turtle choker but then it kind of caught on to like I actively saw people not buy beer because it was considered a turtle choker or I saw people say like save the turtles and like not get a store in their cocktail as a joke to other friends and it was like hee 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 oh yeah I didn't get a but then it was like oh this is actually working you know like they they could have gone down the guilt path of like you are a turtle killer or it could just be like oh hey i'm saving the turtles today you know what i mean it's completely about the psychology of how you not only how you put it out there i guess in marketing but how people absorb it so i think the psychology aspect is so important for both ends like and having that sense of uh i don't know i find comedy such a powerful tool um and like just a little bit of um tongue-in-cheek approach to things really does make a difference especially when you're dealing with people that are like let's say a bit stubborn or a bit you know young like kids for example will will be really easy to follow what other kids do but if you've got a kid who's now um a bit funnier than everyone because he or she is not using a plastic recycled bottle at the soccer game and they're using their funny you know cool bottle that and they're like, nah, it's cool to not use plastic or something. And that, that kind of stuff is like a little bit of a, a wildfire. It catches on. And I feel like that's something that's tended to work that I've observed in my own life through different things when it's been marketed to me. I love when there's a bit of a, 
a lighter approach that's not so in your face. So I know exactly what you're saying. Totally. About, I would yeah. love to discuss uh, ethical marketing, if that's okay, because it totally. is a really good segue. Yep. Because I, I want to call out social media managers who, or, or even people working in these high-impact sectors. Basically, they think that people are going to care because the issue is important, but that is not the case. There's so many important issues and there's so many things that need attention Mm -hmm. and if you think about what people really care about you just go steal someone's phone for a second and go on their explore page and scroll and see what the algorithm picks up so it's usually things like dogs or fashion or food or things things that are just a lighter touch because People are dealing with a lot of things in their lives. They've got they've got a lot of things going on. They could be trying to keep the family alive. They could be going through mental health issues. They could be really passionate about saving the koalas, but you know they're not so much passionate about supporting people with disabilities. So you can only choose so many battles in your life. So just saying the cause is important, people should care. No one's going to actually care. So the best way to do it is by engaging people, ex- making people exciting, excited, entertaining them and inspiring them. And playing in that realm of marketing for these really heavy issues, it will completely change the game in terms of ethical marketing. For sure. Um, I've seen really, I, I, I love my clients at the moment because they do have, they're a bit smaller, so they do have that capacity to you know like play around and not not be so yeah not be so set by corporate structure and we should be talking in this way and we should be doing these things and we should be super serious because our issue is super serious so they've actually um i work with a autism client and they basically have created this platform to help people with autism find friends which is amazing because people with autism have incredible capacity and empathy and desire to make friends but mm-hmm. they don't often have the opportunities to and they often get left out of social experiences so sure. it's all it's all created around that and now instead of them saying people with autism really struggle and it's just this really difficult experience for them and you have to you have to promote this platform because it's so important you know it's important <laughs> Instead of going that route, they they engaged people with autism to create fun TikToks and to create fun content of themselves doing things that they love. There we and go. They um they we realized that people with autism they love animal content because animals don't judge them socially. They they can. She loves being around chickens because they don't judge her. They don't say that she's saying something wrong. So we just mm-hmm. started to run Facebook ads and putting putting animals in all different Facebook ads. Instead of like this, sign up now because it's important. We decided to say, sign up now because we have these different businesses that um, will help you have group activities with animals and then some beautiful pictures of animals and people with autism and the ads just went crazy like it was just incredible it just blew up and um yeah i got something like four times the amount of leads as the 
more serious messaging. And I think that's like what oh, people wow. are that after. Is so they want cool. the lighter touch. You know, you can still solve a problem without being so serious about it. Um, yeah. yeah. People are online to debrief, not to feel guilty. For sure. That's, wow. Yeah, that's that's awesome, honestly. And I know exactly what you mean about saying the people with autism struggle with social interactions. and And sometimes it's like, yeah, people do really lack the patience, but of course animals don't have that same capacity. They're not in, on their way to work or they, they can, you know, like if you're on the train, you can't maybe sit down and, and have a good conversation with someone if you're on your way to your stop or whatever. But if people get the chance to actually get to know um, like yourself in marketing, get to know the process and and the mindset better of people with autism, you can customise it to make it, like you said, more adaptive without... Yeah, I reckon that's so cool. A good example of that I thought of straight away when you were saying like ethical marketing. There was a campaign when I was living in New Zealand. I'm I'm not sure if it's still running right now, but it's just called Be a, Be a Tidy Kiwi. And it just pretty much means like just be tidy. Don't throw your trash out the window if you're driving or don't leave a cigarette butt or whatever. And I would hear people say to each other like, Oi, Be a Tidy Kiwi and like, but as a joke, you know, like yeah. it kind of was like it was it was cool to use it colloquially, and it was cool to use it like in slang, just like be a tidy kiwi it was like if you're cleaning up after a, a party or if you're you're cleaning out your car or wh- whatever, it didn't matter. It was just like hey, be a tidy kiwi, and it was like it's, it was cool to so be tidy. Awesome. You know, it's cool you, to be clean. Like you think about the most <laughs> the most memorable Australian politics campaign. It was so simple that it almost hurts. It was the Kevin 07. I oh, mean, yeah. it rhymes. It has Kevin's name in it. It's just like such a easy to pick up, easy to say thing. Mm-hmm. It's not saying something like, we're going to save economic jobs. Um, yeah, it's not super serious. It's a bit playful. And people respond to that. There's a lot going on in the world, and especially... Um, right now there's just so many issues and people feel like a bit scared from everything so Mm -hmm. if you can invite people in have them sit down at the table welcome them into the issue like like that they can feel empowered to change themselves that's when real change starts to happen and um definitely already seeing that which is cool for sure no, definitely. I, I agree. There's there's so many ways to market or slogan something. I actually would recommend a book to you when we're done the podcast called Drunk Tank Pink. And it's all about like the psychology of colors and names and directions and things like that in marketing, which oh, I'll, wow. I'll, I'll give you. A, yeah, I'll, gi- I'll give you that when we're done. There's some things I wanted to talk about as well. When I was researching Plastic for Change, they had some stuff up on their website that was really quite interesting. It said... 40% of waste generated in India is uncollected. Um, 10 million waste collectors are in poverty. Uh, I'm not sure if that's worldwide or in India. And 8 million tons of plastic enter the ocean annually, like 8 million annually. And I'm not sure how much we're taking out of the ocean. So you can only imagine if we're adding 8 million tons per year, that's just compiling. So the problem is only only growing larger and larger. Um what do you think um i know you said already you're optimistic but what do you think would be the the best approach on a grassroots level from people in australia or whoever is listening to start by mitigating their plastic consumption this is so simple it it's it's so simple 
but um, yeah, I don't know why people have complicated it. So it's the classic reduce, reuse, recycle. Mm-hmm. So reduce your plastic consumption when you don't need a bag, don't don't use a bag. Yeah, for sure. When when someone's like when someone's about to package your thing in like a plastic bag, just say, no, it's all right, I can carry that. Someone's about to put a straw in your drink, just say, no, it's all right, like I don't need a straw. So reduce it wherever you can. And then the next one is take as many reusables as you can. So if you carry around a bag, I know a lot of guys don't, but even if you carry around something like a fork, Um, or if you just plan two minutes in advance, if you're going to get lunch that day, you carry around a box or just your water bottle even as a bare minimum. So having those reusables just, just in reach of wherever you are. Um, and then recycle. Recycling is beautiful. I love the process of recycling. I think it's just magical to see that plastic being used again and again. And it's such a sturdy material and it's so, it's so, um, reusable and recyclable that I don't know why we don't just keep it on plugging into the circular economy so those three Mm -hmm. things that is all that's what boggles me about this whole thing I mean there's just so much anxiety and difficulty around plastic but it's so simple the answers are already there and it's just a matter of shifting behavior so slightly (laughs) like nothing crazy it's like you need to run a marathon yeah definitely bring a cup from time to time or reduce plastic or recycle it yeah yeah and I guess like start small like start with one product that you see that you're using that's made of plastic like let's say your oh gosh what's a good example your grapes come in a plastic bag start buying grapes that don't or your washing powder is in a plastic jug but then you can move to a cardboard box powder or something I feel like that for me was how I mitigated or like started to lower my plastic consumption was just looking at it for what it was in front of me like what am I actually consuming that is plastic so it's a lot of food packaging and things like that and that was the the quickest way for me to sort of down um, my plastic consumption because I was I went down a path where I tried to really what I was like keeping my rubbish each week and like looking at how much I've been using and stuff like that I've gotten better at it now so I don't do it anymore but um that for me was like the best thing to to actually be conscious of what I am consuming and then try and slowly start to to cut things out Um, that's awesome yeah and I would also say for people like me who are really intense you can start big as well um I started by doing a month of no plastic waste and cool wow I'm from there so just going cold turkey on something that's an approach that works really well for me and doesn't work well for other people but I'd say um, when you completely cut it out for a month and there's an end in sight and you know that okay this is only for a month you can see so clearly how what what areas that you genuinely don't need plastic in you can get all the products that you need to make sure that you can do that month properly you can start to use bar soap or, or or shampoo bars and then from there after that month you can just say some of these things are just way too hard and that was just too much of an effort and that was just doesn't fit at all with society or with my life mm-hmm. but then all this other stuff I don't really miss so um <laughs> yeah I always like go in really hard with something and then tweak it 
after I've, after it would, oh uh, that's sort of i don't think that's bad and in some ways even if if nothing else changes at least the person i feel would would come out of it with a bit of a newfound respect for plastic being like wow that was actually <laughs> so hard now i realize that plastic is not just this it's such a you know a benefit to my life i should sort of pay it a bit more respect rather than just seeing it as this like come and go um kind of thing uh we have like experience oh. too yeah that that whole like ex, like experience of um understanding it and learning about it and taking it away from your life um yeah Definitely. yeah anyway Oh, I was going to say, we have like 10 minutes left. So I did have, I wanted to ask for people listening, because I sort of have a a pretty good idea of what it was like for you with Plastics for Change. But do you want to just do a quick, like maybe one minute uh, summary of how the production line worked in Plastics for Change? So um, they collect the trash. What happens next? Where does it go? How did it get recycled? Like the actual physical... Um, circle of that economy could you just describe that like how that worked yeah I'd love to do the full circle because um, it involves everyone listening so when you throw your plastic in the bin say for instance we'll we'll just give we'll just use the plastic bottle as the hero of this journey mm-hmm. you throw a plastic <laughs> bottle in the bin nine nine percent chance that plastic bottle will be recycled there's a pretty small chance because of the the price of land in Australia that it will go into landfill. I don't know the percentage exactly because it's not really publicly available. And then the government sends the the, the probably the real reason the real way that the sorry I'm <laughs> just I'm just imagining all of the freights of plastic. Anyway, probably where where it will go is um, on a ship to Asia. Um, if anyone remembers the massive drama over China closing its borders to Australia's trash, mm-hmm. that came as a surprise to a lot of people. They're like, what? Like, why is this such a big deal? Because we send so much of our trash to Asia and China had like Willy Wonka style recycling plants and they could sort everything with optical lasers and it was so good. <laughs> Willy Wonka like, Yeah, we yeah. used to send so much stuff over there and it was great. But then when they closed their borders... We started sending it to India and Cambodia where they have rudimentary at best recycling facilities. It just gets absolutely piled up. It gets uncollected. It gets burnt. People are getting cancer from burning plastic. So it's an absolute humanitarian disaster for these countries, but people are being bribed off and the whole plastic mafia is working in all these different areas. So the way that the recycling supply chain works in India is there's this army of waste pickers across India that are collecting, sorting plastic for a very low amount. So they will sell that plastic to some to a scrap shop dealer. And he is usually quite a corrupt man who will sometimes really underpay these people and they'll be living off $1 a day, $2 a day. And then they'll, they'll recycle the plastic to a pretty low standard and usually the plastic can only be used in like pretty basic things usually down cycled and it sort of stops there so before plastics were changed there was no PET plastic that had been exported from India into a bread supply chain before because it wasn't wow. the right standard so um, yeah plastics for change sort of flipped that on its head and you give people a living wage the waste pickers so we 
make sure that they're they're working to fair trade principles and fair trade payments. So they so they um, take the take the plastic to a recycling center, and then we upcycle the plastic. So we extract the molecules, we segregate it in a way that um, we can create different strains of the plastic, and it's a far more advanced recycling recycling sorting process Mm -hmm. and then it goes um, and gets bailed put into big squares and then it gets sent off to the netherlands and europe to be um to be turned into different different bottles and different things for brands so wow yeah it's amazing to be able to like once again coming back to that whole every every, the best problems to solve uh, economic environmental problems that mixture of the two was the reason why um it just was so successful and was able to have such a big impact because you give people a job you give brands plastic um, yeah. and then you take it out of the environment and all of those problems were solved really yeah that's amazing and the pickers were given a better wage and i know it sounds weird that, like bringing back to what i said at the start about like capitalism has a time and a place i feel like that's a micro example of where like a market that is like you said there's a bit of an economy behind it it's so good to see that if we like butt heads together there's like solutions to our problems if we really like focus and put put a bit of effort into to driving things in the right direction and it's it's nice to hear that it was like not only a success story but it's economically viable enough that the workers themselves are benefiting from the better process which is so so cool yeah yeah makes me so happy definitely we'll be back one day yeah um we've got still like five minutes left i was i was thinking this might take up half the podcast but i guess i guess not what's it been like for you now starting a business in covid do you feel like that's been its complete own uh journey and learning process or do you feel like oh yeah we didn't even get to this i know (laughs) i was like yeah so unbelievably happy about my choice to start a business cool i always felt like there was something not quite right about full-time employment for me as an individual and mm-hmm. i really encourage others to ask themselves those questions as well so before i knew i was a hard worker i knew i liked to um, work on different projects and i was getting all these great opportunities but i just i just had this really deep deep feeling that i needed to start a business and do something entrepreneurial mm-hmm. so um i quit my job and then within one week of starting the business, it was book, booked out with clients in disability, women empowerment, um, and education. And yeah, so it was kind of just really quick, really quick um, to grow and really quick to be able to build. And I think that's a great, it's a great example of um, if a product is, if, a, if it's going to, if it's the right thing to do. So I, I know I'd always, I'd always dabbled in different projects before but this one felt like it was the right thing and the right fit and I was um I was following my mission of wanting to use social media for social good and I was getting all of these amazing clients and then now because it grew so quickly I'm able to hire someone with a disability I'm able to provide mentorship and interns and and internships to people in India and wow they are killing it launching a charitable arm of the business soon to be able to support um, different charities and provide them with grants uh, for their social media 
marketing as well. So that's probably in a few months' time. Hopefully that happens. But right now, it's just amazing to see how much impact growing someone's business through social media can do to help them accelerate their mission. And then that's the space that I know I can impact in. And I'm just staying in that space and refining it and making it better and trying harder and getting more people on board. So I know that I can change that area, getting business for getting business and customers for ethical brands is something that I can master. And then all the rest, it's like all the other stuff, when I try to do all, all, of the, all the other things in the world, if I try to solve too many problems, I won't get anywhere. So I'm just really focusing on that. And um, yeah, hopefully I just grow, grow, grow. And <laughs> I don't want to stop. That's so cool. I'm, I'm actually so glad that you've, I don't know, like you said, you've refined your skill and your passion. And it's obviously like you're making making waves and ripples which is it's really cool to see and actually to hear you talk about how passionate you are and yeah I feel like it's do you well do you feel like it was a natural progression for you you kind of knew it was going to happen in some way or another so natural yeah Yeah, this is I love I love that description of it because similar to how the day that I landed in India and I felt like I was supposed to be there the day that I started my business I just knew like in my bones that it was the right thing and because it's been so easy, obviously there's been hard things. Like I've just definitely struggled um, to learn so much about business in a short amount of time and um, just like accounting and lawyers and all that jazz. But just how easy it was to grow and how easy and naturally building the brand and attracting clients and attracting new people to work with, with the business, all of that flowed so easily. And that's when you know that, you're in that state that you're supposed to be in and you're aligned with your purpose and um yeah I'm just I'm so excited for the future I think that um I don't really want one earth marketing to be a social media agency I want social media to be the service and the expertise but I'd love it to be this hub uh, for ethical brands to really feel understood really have their mission accelerated um be able to get access to lots of different um experts in different areas um and yeah just be just be a bit of a voice of reason in the social media world and um promote better products and hopefully promote a better future to come amazing i guess it like what i remember when you were saying um about with india it felt natural and things were flowing well and now you're saying the same thing again maybe it's the big thing is like removing barriers that you think are in front of you and just like having a go and you know, not not having those imaginary, well, they're not imaginary, but the more you imagine these barriers and hurdles, like like you said, the culture shock or booking the ticket or getting off the plane or volunteering, if you had always thought that the, like the David and the Goliath and the hurdles were too big, perhaps it would never have happened. So it's really cool to know that you have that self-confidence and you're, you're going for it. It's, it's awesome. Yeah, I don't know where the confidence comes from, to be honest. I think it's sometimes naivety as well. Um, but well, it's when, working. You, when you when you know what you care about, everything's easy from there. 